are now in chapter 1 of John's gospel. And let's just jump right in. It's, it begins, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not John, the author of the, of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist who he's referring to. <clears throat> this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Uh, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made known through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. This means one blessing after another. That's the idea. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That word declared, uh, it's, it's the word exegesis, and it's in verb form. The, here's the idea. We, we here at Calvary Chapel, we, we always love to emphasize that when we teach the Bible, that we teach it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And exegesis, really, the idea is out of the text. What we're doing is we are taking what God says in his word and we are declaring that. We're not crafting a man-made message um, and, and putting together, taking an approach to how we, how we you know, preach that it's, that it's some sort of man-shaped message. Rather, our approach is to say, what has God said, and we are going to break down the word, and that's what we are going to declare. And so the, the Bible here is saying that Jesus coming in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, he coming to us, he lived out, and by virtue of what he said, and by virtue of how he lived, he declared, he exegeted the word to us. He is the word that became flesh. You know, a few weeks ago, we looked at the subject of unity. And what we saw is that the problem with unity is really us, right? Because the inherent part of our sinful nature is to be self-centered. James says this, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and you quarrel. 
So what do we need to do? Well, James goes on, and he tells us that unity comes when we are unified with God. He says, therefore, submit to God, James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, we have to first be unified together with Jesus Christ, and then that is what enables us to be in unity with one another. And right now, our country is in the middle of a storm. We are going through a difficult time, and it reminds me, and I've just been reflecting lately, on Peter and the disciples in Matthew chapter 14. Here's the story. I'll throw it on the screen for you and share with you. It tells us that meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Let me be candid with you. How many have been experiencing that strong wind and that heavy wave right now in your life and in our society and everything that we're going on? Am I the only one? Anybody, right? Strong winds, heavy waves. It has been an uphill push, right? But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And so verse 29 tells us that Peter went over the side of the boat. He walked on the water towards Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. And he cried out, save me, Lord. Right? This is... Such a picture of us, man. I identify with this so incredibly that so often in my life, and if we're honest, we all have to admit that we all experience this, that we go through these times where there is the storm, where there is the waves and the wind, and we, what do we do? We do exactly what Peter did. We take our eyes off the Lord and we put it on the storm. And the moment Peter did that, he began to sink. And that's what's going to happen to you and to me in the times in which we're living. If we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them onto the storm, we begin to sink. I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, social media lately has been a minefield. And what it is so much reminds me of this text because it gets to the place, and I've had many friends do this, they go, man, I'm taking a vacation from Instagram. I'm taking a a vacation from Facebook. I'm taking a vacation from my social media. And they don't don't even phrase it as a vacation. They I need a break from this, right? Why? Because it's focusing on the storm so much is what it is. And, And man... We need to focus on the Lord. And with that in mind, today we begin this series in the Gospel of John. And listen, the big idea of this book is that God loves you so much that he's made a way for us in the storm. The key verse in the entire Gospel of John can be found in John chapter 20, verse 31. Put on the screen for you. It tells us, these are written. What are these? This book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, life abundantly, life everlasting, life that lifts you out of the darkness of this world and takes you to that heavenly place. That's the idea. And the Gospel of John 
This is why it was given. And, you know, understand, this was the last of the four Gospels that were written. It was written towards the end of the first century. We understand there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, of course, John wrote this for the purpose of convincing people that Jesus is the Christ, right? And that he is God who came to live with us and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. So we've got the four Gospels, and the four Gospels, they are giving us different perspectives on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is known as the harmony of the Gospels. Now, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, these are known as the synoptic Gospels. And the idea is that these guys wrote from different angles, but all from a similar point of view. So we get different glimpses. It's like, it's like the cameras here in the sanctuary. You get a different camera angle, but it's all of the life and the ministry of Jesus, right? John is unique. The Gospel of John... Um, focuses on who Jesus is. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus on, on what Jesus did and what he taught. John, his focus is on who Jesus is. As well, each of these writers, they picked a different place to begin their Gospels. So Matthew began with the genealogy of Jesus pointing back to Abraham. Uh, Mark began with the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. Luke began his gospel with the announcement of Jesus' birth to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. But when John begins his gospel, he goes back all the way before the beginning of time, right? He goes all the way back, even further than the book of Genesis. We read Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which records the beginning of creation, but John goes all the way back to the Creator, to the Creator, declaring that in the beginning was the Word. That word in your Bibles, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. It's the Greek word logos, and, and the word logos means literally word, it means speech, it means principle, or it means thought. And as you go through the New Testament, what you will discover is that there are three primary uses for the word logos in the New Testament. Number one, logos can designate a word or the act of speaking. A word or the act of speaking. Here's an example. We see in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Logos used in this way. It tells us there that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. That word, word, it means the word or the act of speaking. Well, the second way that Logos is used in the New Testament is that Logos can designate the special revelation of God to his people. Special revelation of God to his people, and we see that uh, demonstrated in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, where Jesus, speaking to the, the Pharisees of his day, he said, you make the word of God, the special revelation of God to his people, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. That's the second way that it's used. The third way that Logos is used in the New Testament is the way that we have here in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. It can designate the personification and the revelation of Jesus the Messiah as God. 
And that's what we see here. In the beginning was the Word. The personification and the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, this third distinction here in John chapter 1, verse 1, is huge because the idea is that the Word existed prior to creation that the word that exists is not only in connection to God, but that the word is God. Jesus Christ is God. And the word became human, and he came in the likeness of man, possessing the glory of God. Here's why that matters to you and me today. You know, when you come to a service and you start going through a Bible study, and I always tell my students this when I'm teaching people how to teach the Bible the, the question on everybody's mind when, when they come to church and they start hearing a Bible study, the, que- the number one question is, so what? Why does this matter to me right now? Here's why this matters to you and me today. Because mankind is in darkness. Mankind is in darkness. Look again at verse 5. What does it say? It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word darkness, it literally means darkness due to want of life, of light. And it's used metaphorically here to describe the wickedness and the resultant misery that comes when man is separated from the light. And here's the deal, man is separated from the light. We were created and God created mankind to know him, to walk with him, to have fellowship with him. But the problem is, is that sin entered into the world. God, when he created man, he created man for a loving relationship and so he gave to man the capacity to choose. He created you and me in his image. We are created in the image of God. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is created in the image of God and is precious to him. And being created in the image of God means that God, uh, among other things, just as he is sovereign, the Lord is sovereign. Sovereign means he, he has the independent capacity, right? He, is, he, he himself gets to choose. And he's given to you and me the ability to choose. We can choose to receive God or we can choose to reject God. And you know your Bible story better than me, right? In the, in the beginning, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, what happens? Adam and Eve, they chose poorly. And sin then came into the world and it infected every man, woman, and child. And so the problem is, is that we're separated from God. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so the thing is, is that mankind lives in darkness and without God stepping in to the world to shine his light, we have no light of our own. And we desperately need the Lord to come. And of course, the gospel is so wonderful because God, he didn't leave us to ourselves. He didn't, he didn't just create you and then split, right? God is active in his creation. And so he, he knew that mankind would choose poorly. And so the gospel has always been plan A. It wasn't like, you know, God went, uh-oh, they sinned. Now what am I going to do? 
The gospel's always been plan A. He knew that we would, of our free will, choose to reject him. So he makes a way that our sinful state can be covered. And that is Jesus Christ coming into the world to give his life as a ransom for many. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him that Jesus would live that sinless life, that he would come and, and proclaim and shine the light for mankind and that we might cry out to the Savior who would take our sins upon himself and go to Calvary's cross and die for our sin in our place and conquer Satan's sin and death and that we by faith in him might be delivered from our sin. And of course, today, as I preach the gospel at the end of this message, I, I, I'll give you an invitation. I ask you the question, where, where are you going? What, what is your life right now? Do you know Jesus? Have you cried out to him? Have you received the salvation that he offers? Have you, have you repented of your sin? And repent simply means to turn. You turn from the way that you've been going. You turn from the life that you're leading. And you turn to God and you cry out and you say, I need a savior. I need a rescuer. I'll give you that opportunity today. And so, mankind is in darkness. And God, he brought light into the world. Romans chapter 1, verses 21-22 says that forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. And so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Look, by any measure right now, you got to understand our world is in darkness, right? I don't even have to illustrate that point. You can turn on the news, you can go on social media, you, you just tune into what's happening and you see the darkness, right? The world is proving this point. And because mankind is in darkness, the Lord God, the creator of all, he stepped into the darkness. Look again at verses 12 through 18. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. They are born of God. By the way, one of the applications of this is that in order to be born again, in order to receive the light, you have to make that individual choice to do this. Your parents can't do that for you. It's not, oh, my, my granny went to church her whole life. Great. That's great for your granny, right? But what about you? That's the idea here. Being born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but being born again of God. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. Key word, we'll come back to that. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and of truth. 
Right? That's this picture. John witnessed about him, cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Grace after grace, blessing after blessing. It all comes through Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son is in the bosom of the Father. He's declared Him. Jesus came, He dwelt among us, and He showed us the Father. Jesus told His disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want you to catch the significance here. That Jesus Christ took on flesh. That He came to us. Man, we cannot overemphasize that enough. You know, we, we, we go on missions trips. And, so, and you know, when, when we will go on a missions trip, we will go to places that you wouldn't choose to go on vacation. Why? Because we ain't going on vacation. We're going to shine the light. And in bringing the light, we go to some places that are, that are difficult, that are hard, Listen, we go to places where we're glad to come home. My last missions trip, I, by the way, I left to go to the Philippines, and, 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 it, and it was business as usual, man. I came back to a very different place, you know? And, but while I was gone, man, I, I, I was in, uh, and it wasn't even that, that, that more difficult of a place, but man, you know, the whole team got sick. The whole team was, was laid up. I mean, I ended up passing out, smacked my face, had a big old shine. I still got, I still have a black eye today, you know, from, from, from the difficult experiences. And, and, and the thing is, is that, and I'm emphasizing this because imagine it from God's perspective. I mean, Jesus Christ dwelling in heaven in glory, which we have no idea what it's like, but for him to come to the earth and put on flesh... For you, for me, it's incredible. I mean, really, just take a walk with that. That God would come and dwell among us and live out the word. And that he's full of grace and full of truth. He came loving. Not only did Jesus show us the love of the Father and how to live, but listen, he came to us to do it and ultimately gave his life. He bore our sins. He carried our shame. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, take a walk with that. John chapter 13 verse 1 tells us that before the Passover celebration, this is right before Jesus is going to the cross, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to the Father, Right? And his travel arrangements weren't first class. They were a cross where he was going to be nailed and tortured and killed. We, we use the word excruciating to, to, to describe excruciating pain. The word excruciating comes from the cross, comes from crucifixion. It means out of the cross. The most brutal torture device known to man. This was, this was Jesus' airline ticket, if you will, home to go back to heaven, right? He knew that his hour had come. The whole reason that he came was for the cross. To leave this world, to return to his father. He had, listen to this, loved 
his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They were nailing him to the cross. The, the, the people were, were spitting in his face, right? Just taunting him as he hung on the cross. He gave his life for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just put your name right there. Christ died for you. For scarcely will a righteous man die for one, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love in, a, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus would tell his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this than he lays down his life for his friends. He goes on to say, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. Listen, Jesus took on flesh and he came to bring us light. And with that in mind, listen, I want you to consider the remarkable parallel between the Gospel of John and the book of Genesis. You see, here in the Gospel of John, we're focusing on the Creator. Right? In the book of Genesis, we're focusing on the creator's creation. And so of the creator, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the word, the creator, and the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, now you look at Genesis chapter 1, and I'll put it on the screen for you, 1 through 5. It, it goes from the focus on the creator to his creation. And what do we read there? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night, and so the evening and the morning were the first day. And then in Genesis chapter 1.16, we read this, that God made two great lights, that the greater light was to rule the day, the lesser light was to rule the night. In other words, God created the sun, and he created the moon. Now, maybe, and I hope you have, tuned into the message that I shared last week from my friend Tony Clark. And Tony, in this message, he shares an observation that many have made. It's not original to him, but he does such a good job of sharing it. He, he, said, he, he talks about how Jesus is like the sun, S-U-N, right? That, that he gives to us light. And that you and I, we are intended to be like the moon. And what does the moon do? The moon reflects the light that the sun shines, right? And Jesus said that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. And the idea here is that, Jesus, that people need to see Jesus reflected in you and they need to see Jesus reflected in me. Well, going back to the analogy of the sun and the moon, do you know the only time that the moon does not reflect the sun is during an eclipse. And what happens during an eclipse? The earth blocks out the light. The world comes between the sun and the moon. Right now, guys, 
There are some ugly, worldly things that are coming between us and Jesus. The, the world is coming between us and Jesus. And if we're not careful, the things of the world right now, they can keep us from reflecting Jesus Christ. And this is where this gets complicated because some of the things that are going on in the world that trip us up, right, and that if we're not careful can prevent us from shining the light of Jesus Christ, some of the things are immoral things. Some of the things are wicked things. Some of the things are unjust things. Some of the things are complicated things. And you look at what's happening in the world and there is real injustice and there is real injury. And there are good people hurting on both sides. There, there are those, you know, law enforcement officers, and we have many in our congregation here, and they are being painted with a broad brush because of a few bad cops. And you've also got people who are protesting. And just like good cops, bad cops, you've got people that are setting fire to things and doing horrible things, and, and we're outraged at those things. And yet, there are also those people who are protesting because there's real social, social injustice, because there's real profound, prominent problems that we need to take a look at. And it's complicated. And listen, and I hear my words on this, guys. Hear me very carefully. The temptation in all of this is to lash out in our flesh to, or, or even to try and fix things in our flesh. These, these are ways where the world can, be, can, can come between us and shining the light of Jesus Christ. We might see what's going on and we want to lash out at the protesters. Or we might want to lash out or try to fix, out, fix the injustice in our system by the strength of our flesh. Or we might want to lash out and say racism is wrong, which it is, but then we want, try and fix it in the strength of our flesh. And listen, when we do that, when we lash out in the flesh, when we try to fix things in the, in the flesh, we are eclipsing the sun, S-O-N. We're eclipsing the sun. Because listen, hear me, these things are sin issues. These things are sin issues. And the only hope for the darkness of sin is the light of Jesus Christ. That's our only hope is to shine the light of Christ. And this, with everything that's going on right now, this is where the church is supposed to shine the light of Jesus. And I want you to hold that thought. Look with me, verses 6 through 9. Dial in here, lessons for us. It tells us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the, what, what is it? of the light, right? He came to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he was not that light. You can underline that in your Bibles if you want to. He wasn't the light. He was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Guys, I'm not the light. You are not the light. My opinions aren't the light. Your opinions are not the light. My Instagram or Facebook rants aren't the light, and neither are yours. We got to get this. 
Jesus is the light. Let me take this one step further and bear with me, just hear me out, because I'm going to unpack this thought. Racial understanding isn't the light. Focusing on tolerance and inclusion is not the light. Jesus is the light. And here's the thing, as we are illuminated by the light of Jesus, as we let the light of Jesus be reflected in how we live and in how we respond to all of these things, then what will happen is we'll, we will handle the issues of racial inclusion and the issues of tolerance and inclusion in the right way. Listen, yes, all men are created in the image of God. That's what the light tells us. Right? He has made from one flesh every person on the face of the earth. They're all the nations. Right? We read in the book of, of Revelation. It's a glorious sight in the heavenlies and it's persons, people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. This is what our hope is. We don't fix these things in the flesh. We only fix them as we focus on the Lord Jesus and we let his light shine in and through our lives. What we see transpiring right now in the world is darkness versus light. And I'm talking about the sin in the world. And what Satan would love to do is have the things of the world come between us and Jesus. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to shine his light. And so if we make the mistake of focusing on these things first, then the problem is that's not our starting point. When we start dealing with, you know, hey, let's, let's correct sin through, you know, legislative measures. Listen, legislation needs to change. I, I, I will not argue with you about that at all. But it has to come. It's a hard issue. And we have to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to shine his light. And in order to do that, listen, what we need to do, I, I need you to understand, get this. What we read right here, it's no accident, it's no mistake that as the Gospel of John, first five verses talking about how the light came into the world, the very next several verses talks about witness of the light. It is inextricably linked together. Right? We have to understand, God's bringing the light to us is inextricably linked to us bringing his light to others. God makes this connection. We have to get it. Inextricably linked. In order to do that, we have to go as Jesus did. We have to dwell among the lost. We have to dwell among the hurting. We have to dwell among the broken. And we need to bring them the gospel. And we need to live in gospel community with all of the world, with every nation, with every tongue, with every tribe. This is what we have to do. I want to illustrate this point this way. Notice there in verse 14, Jesus dwelt among us. Would you see that? It tells us there in verse 14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. It's the, it's the Greek word tabernacled. I'll unpack that in a minute. But just understand the idea is he set up camp with us. He set up camp with us. Years ago, we had a, uh, a youth camp that we 
participated in um, when I was uh, the, the, the executive pastor at Revival Christian Fellowship. We put this thing together. Our junior hires, our high schoolers were going. We had a junior high team and high school team and the, and the high school pastor overseeing all of this. And they went up to Hume Lake. And, um, and so they're going to they're have camp together up at Hume Lake. It was a train wreck. It was a train wreck. We had one kid get duct taped to a chair. We had another kid get his eyebrows shaved off. We had another kid who had all of his stuff peed on by one of the kids, right? And so this, this team that was supposed to be camping with them and supervising them was being overwhelmed. And they had included in, in the language of, of their, uh, uh, of their uh, you know, the stuff you send home to the parents beforehand, hey, look, if your kid gets out of line, we reserve the right to call you and tell you to come up and pick up your kid. Well, they're in central California. I mean, Hume Lake's five, six hours, you know, north of here. And, uh, well, I mean, the one kid who was kind of the ringleader in a bunch of this stuff, the, the guy finally got totally exasperated, and he's like, you're out. So he, call, he, goes, and he goes to the office, and he calls this kid's mom, and he says, well, you got to come pick up your kid. Well, this mom is losing her mind. Like, she is, I mean, you know, I have to do what? And, and you know, my precious baby, this and that, and what do you do? She goes, let me talk to my son. Well, the youth leader goes, no, I'm not going to let you talk to him. Well, we find out after the fact, the, kind of the reasons why, that if you've ever been to Hume Lake, it's not like a little camp facility. It's a city. I mean, it's huge. And he's like, I was in the office. This kid was back in, you know, it would have taken me half hour, 45 minutes to go get the kid, bring him back. Like, it just logistically was a problem. Well, he didn't tell her any of that stuff. He just said, when she said, let me talk to my kid, he said no. So what does this mom do? She hangs up. She calls the sheriff's department and says, my son has been kidnapped. And so now you got the cops showing up at Hume Lake. So I'm sitting in my office in, in Menifee, and all of a sudden my phone rings. It's the director of Hume Lake calling me, and he basically says, this thing's on fire, man. You got you to gotta deal with this. And, I, and I'm like, do I need to come up there? And he's like, yeah, I think you do. So four hours later, I mean, Brenda and I, we just run down, we jump on a plane, we fly up there like, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to put out this fire. And, and I tell you that story because here's the situation where, you know, what, did they, what were they doing? They were coming to, to set up camp together, right? And they were coming to seek the Lord. And it wasn't easy. It was Hard. The enemy was attacking. And when John here says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and that he tabernacled among us, he dwelt among us, the picture that he's using here is of that tabernacle in the wilderness where, where the people would meet with God. Right? And, and if, if you, you know, go through this, it's a symbol of protection and communion, by the way. That's what, that's what the idea is. Protection and communion where we can meet with God. This is the whole purpose. Jesus coming to meet with us. Right? And, and if you read through the book of Exodus, what you realize is that the story in Exodus makes our experience in Hume Lake look like a picnic. It was not easy for God to meet with his people and that, that protection and that communion. But listen, God didn't give up on us. God didn't write us off. 
Moses didn't give up on the people. What did he do? He interceded for them. And I just want to be very candid with you, and I want to tell you what that looks like for me. And this is kind of, I hope, our takeaway here. The problems in our world right now, they're spiritual problems. And there are some, the spiritual problems that exist in our world, light versus darkness, sin, sin issues. We have to respond to those in view of God's word. And so when I see the things that are going on, here's what I acknowledge. What I acknowledge is that there are some massive issues going on um, in, in the world right now with, with racism, with, with some problems with, with, with our, our justice system, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through some incredible trials. And so I can't turn a blind eye to that. Not from an activist heart, but from a, from a Christ shining his light in my life kind of heart. And so what I've been doing, this idea of, of dwelling, Jesus dwelling with us, setting up camp with us, what I'm trying to do in all of this situation is I want to set up camp with my brothers and sisters and I want to go, what is happening here to where, to where, you know, where are my blind spots? Where are issues that I need to grow? How can I help? This is the attitude, this is the idea. And so lately, of late, the last couple of weeks for sure, I've been reaching out to, to dear brothers who, who are you know, African-American, uh, and, and I have several that, that pastor churches. Uh, pastor Henry Lundy pastors a church. He's, he's a friend of mine. I'm actually on his board of directors. He's an African-American pastor. He pastors in, in Beaumont. Right? So it's, a, it's the craziest thing because this church is filled with rednecks, you know, uh, and it's 99% Caucasian, you know, and, uh, and then they've got this African-American pastor. And so I've been, you know, reaching out and having a conversation with Henry going, dude, what do I need to see here? What, help me. Where are my blind spots? Help me to see. My friend Tony Clark, I remember when he was at Calvary Vista and he went out, planted a church in Newport News. I shared his message recently. I hope you've watched it. If you haven't, tune in to, to our YouTube channel. You can see it there. Been talking to Tony. Dude, where, where are my blind spots? How, what, what are things that I can do? That, 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 what are some real issues here where the, where the church needs, needs to, to be the church here? Aaron Campbell, another friend. I'm on a, a leadership team with him. I just talked to him yesterday. He's sharing with us. He, he pastors at uh, Antioch Church in Philly, Philadelphia. Aaron shared a story with me, with all of us, as we were meeting yesterday, a couple of dozen of us. And we're in this Zoom call, and Aaron's telling me about his son. His son is 13 years old. He's six foot one. And, and, uh, and he says, I want you guys to understand my experience. He says, my 13-year-old boy is six feet one, and, and most of you guys, if you had a situation like this, you with joy would be talking to your child, and you would be saying, uh, hey, you're, you're going to be big. You're 13 years old. You're already six foot one. Your hands are bigger than mine. Your feet are bigger. You're going to be big, and you celebrate it. He says, you know what I have to filter that through? I'm afraid because I don't say you're going to be big. I say you're going to scare people. 
I was retelling the story to Brenda. I started crying just telling the story. Brings his boy there and he's just sharing with us the reality of this, of, and the things that they have to filter th- everything through. And what I'm saying, guys, for us, as I just draw this to a close, that as we're beginning to look at Jesus, the light of the world, coming to shine light, our job is to reflect him like the moon. And it informs every issue. And so how do I respond to this? It's in light of the gospel. And the gospel requires that I acknowledge on a daily basis and that you acknowledge on a daily basis. What does the Bible say? We're to deny ourselves, that we are to pick up our cross, a symbol of death to the flesh, and we're to follow him. And so a relationship with the Lord acknowledges that if I've been born again by the Spirit of God, I am to be an ambassador of reconciliation because that's who God is. That's who Jesus was. And that Jesus came to save me I'm a sinner. I was no prize to be won, and neither are you. And once you're saved, that's not where it ends. It, 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 it continues. He who began a good work in you, the Bible says, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so that completion process, what's it look like in your life? It looks like that you need to die to your flesh daily. And dying to your flesh daily includes that you would dwell with the people that you're in community with, and that you would look for blind spots in your life in areas where you can grow and where you can love and you can be part of the problem, not, not addressing the issues from, uh, hey, let's, let's, let's just focus on the issues first. No, you're focusing on the issues in light of the gospel. And what does gospel community look like? It looks like every nation, tongue, and tribe coming together to worship the Lord and simultaneously taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and dying to the sins that we have.